Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay. Uh, let me preface this discussion on fear. First of all, um, by I would definitely say that there is a lot of overlap between teachers who are what I, in my history of religions field, would call mysticism, okay? Which I have, in, in a modern language, defined as a reconciliation of the subject-object dichotomy or the experience of the subject-object dichotomy, okay? That said, there are a lot of people who we might consider uh, in a kinship with various traditions that I would call mystical, but that are not mystical, okay? Um, So I think part of this discussion would be um, to delineate some of these differences, okay? So you, you mentioned uh, Krishnamurti, and uh, I highly recommend you read Krishnamurti, um, but on my own path, I have uh, veered from him because he's too rational, and by which I mean he is too intellect-oriented. And what I found most problematic with most rational, intellectually uh, based traditions is that they leave out a body practice, okay? So if you, if you watch Krishnamurti, uh, he almost became a talking head as his body became very weak and the popularity of his teachings was based in him sitting in a chair and people listening to him or people reading his books. Um, and that's quite a contrast from how I feel, which is I don't mind talking about things, but if you look at uh, just in terms of minutes of how many minutes we speak versus how many minutes we're actually moving, do you see? Um, there's no comparison. Of course, if you follow us on the internet or something, you're going to think, oh, there's a lot of talking here, but you, you have a misunderstanding because 
in my view, you listeners, thinkers out there, you have no idea what we're doing. And whatever you think you're hearing, I can tell you is 100% wrong. It's also something I tell you guys almost after every big major talk where I see your eyes go, you know, I go, this is completely wrong and get back to work. Okay. Um, so, uh, but we can use it as a contrast to understand our own, what we're doing here. So, um, can you again remind me what you were saying about fear and something you read in Krishnamurti and I would agree and that the moment you recognize the fear, I wouldn't say it that way, I'll put it in my words, okay? Um, we, just to catch up really quick, uh, we have an aspect of ourselves that I have explained as the ego tripartite, and it is eventually functioning uh, at the level of identity through a behavioral pattern of avoidance and preference. You could call that desire and fear, do you see, if you wanted to. Um, but a lot of times, and so why don't you, Dave? Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't because what I'm interested in is how uh, this positive and negative aspect or this positive and negative behavioral pattern is related simultaneously, interdependently, with dichotomous thinking and the ego attachment, the identity. These things create each other at speed of life, do you see? Is you have the ego attachment, you have the ego, you have dichotomous thinking, you have behavioral patterns of preference and avoidance, okay, so why not fear and desire? Because um, a lot of people will go, I didn't feel afraid. You know, this didn't really feel scary. Uh, but you still have the ego reification there through the dichotomous uh, pattern of I'd rather have this than that, or I'd rather avoid this than that. Uh, so I went with avoidance and preference, okay. So you know, a lot of times people don't realize that when you say fear, you're afraid right now. They don't feel afraid. Just like uh, 
they can go to the doctor and the doctor will, you know, the doctor goes, well, here's why you have that um, lower digestive tract problem. You know, you, sounds like you got a lot of stress in your life. And then they always go, I don't feel stressed. There's no more stress than usual. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it's like, well, you have a big problem because you do have this problem. You do have this digestive issue here, uh, meaning that you might not feel what we're talking about. And what we're talking about is not dependent upon whether you feel it or not. It's more a mode of operation, do you see? That's one thing. Now, if, if I'm going to use the word fear, I want you to understand it as a behavioral pattern based in avoidance that itself is supporting and being supported by dichotomous thinking and the ego reification or the ego identity experience, okay? So you're, I wouldn't say um, when you recognize this that that is what's actually saving you from that. What I, how I word it is, we, I call it a metacognition, okay? So you, you have the ability to um, sense that this process or these mechanics or this mode of operation is actually functioning. And in the ability to observe that it is functioning, you are somewhat or at least partially not entirely identical to it. So it creates some space between its functioning and you. That's what I call a metacognition. And some of your, but, but what I go on to say is that is a, your first step. That's a beginner step, you see. It's not the ultimate solution um, because it does not dismantle the ego tripartite. It just sort of gives you what I would call a loosening, do you see? And the reason why I say it's a loosening is it, I have seen somebody who, uh, you know, it's based on experience. So you can have people that can get metacognition um, with minor or small things, do you see? But um, being, for example, in law enforcement, you reach the extremes of human existence and you will find that metacognition only functions at relatively low levels of this behavioral pattern of avoidance and preference or what we would say in this language at low levels of generated fear. At low levels of generated fear, you can use your intellect do you see, in a way to gain a metacognition. And as I said, for me, Krishnamurti is very intellectually based, do you see? And it sounds very um, Jungian in the sense that, oh, if you recognize it, it'll, it'll stop. But, you know, okay, well, why? And I'm telling you why, because when the fear has you, it has you, um, and when you're able to perceive the fear or recognize the fear or have a metacognition where you're observing yourself in a state of fear, you're not fully captured by the fear. Do you see that? But again, I've only seen that doable in what I would call relatively low fear, relatively low fear, okay? 
Um, so you, you are new here, and you haven't had much training. And we, we would have to go into, and we will, we should, we should go into um, when you said it feels different than the fear we feel on the mat. So we, we want to talk about what you feel is the fear on the mat. But I can tell you, as the uh, driver of this bus, do you see, uh, what you have seen now is nowhere near where we're going. Do you, do you get that? Um, but you just have to find that out, right? Everything is done very progressively, incrementally, uh, but we are fucking heading to hell, do you see? And uh, you don't survive hell by going, oh, I'm in hell. Um, that, that metacognition uh, actually gets turned against you, do you see? It gets turned against you uh, when you realize it does not offer the same freedom that it once did, it, it actually captures you more. Um, and this is why I preface this discussion with there's, there's different traditions, do you see? They're, they're structurally different. Some are, as I would call, mystical, and some I would call intellectually based, where they're, in my opinion, they're more based in language, do you see that? So if I say, for example, even as I'm explaining it to you right now, it's a language game. If I say um, your fear captures you and you become one with your fear, well, if you can recognize that you are being captured by fear, then you cannot be uh, captured by fear because there's a part of you that is recognizing it. Do you see that? But that is a language game. That's not really what happens in real life. Uh, and if it does, it only happens at what I would call as meaningless levels of existence. Um, you know, basically, uh, very ideal conditions of fear. Uh, you know, when, when you, for example, uh, some of the uh, first dangerous calls I had, uh, I remember that out of nowhere, um, my, uh, I had two babies at that time on this one call, and they, uh, they appeared right before my eyes, do you see, in the middle of this extreme situation. Um, and uh, I wasn't seeing them because I, I was looking at reality, but I could, I could not unsee them either, do you see? And I could say, like, these are not here, do you get it? And I could say, oh, this is happening to you because this is such an extreme fear. But you know what? They didn't disappear. It stayed right there. Do you see? So um, what we ultimately are after is a different solution. But metacognition or fear recognition, if you want, is one of the first things that you can do to loosen up. And the way that I... Uh, use this is to get you to first realize that uh, you are not your thoughts. Do you see? And that's different because when you make metacognition the prize, you're trying for just different thoughts. Do you see? And I'm saying you're not your thoughts. You're not any of your thoughts. Do you see that? And so it's not a rational, intellectually based 
psychological-based path. You are not your thoughts, okay? And the metacognition allows the new person who really believes that they are their thoughts for a long time until they get this first loosening experience as they're observing themselves while they're undergoing something. They start to raise, well, then what am I? Who is having this experience and who is having this thought right now and who's the observer? And, but you have to go much deeper than that, okay? And um, again, we're not after, we are not after at one level, these low-level fears, we're not after those. I don't really care about those, right? A glass of wine, go for it. You'll be fine. Do you get it? Um, we're talking about a whole other level of fear um, where there's not enough wine in the world for you, do you see? And also, um, we are not after the prize of the rational traditions, which is... Um, a life without fear or a life without suffering or a life of happiness. Um, these are not part of the way for me. They are as much a part of that mind that has the preference avoidance patterns of behavior, the dichotomous mind and the ego. Uh, that is not what we're after. And how do you have those, how do you have this happy pleasurable, non-suffering life in a reconciled subject-object dichotomy. It, it all goes, do you see? It all goes, uh, both the, the good and the bad and the right and the wrong and the pleasurable and the painful. It all goes away, do you see? And that's why I make this contrast between these rational traditions and these mystical traditions, but I gave the caveat by which I mean these intellectually based traditions, right? It's not that mysticism is not rational. I think it's more rational. I think it's quite irrational to think that um, all you got to do is recognize your fear and you're going to be golden. I think our experience tells us that's not true, right? Um, but yet we're believing it, and we buy it, and now you're this practitioner, and you're like, all I have to do is recognize it. All I have to do is recognize it, and it just doesn't work, and I think you see a lot of that in, in modern uh, psychoanalysis and things like this, and it's like nobody's getting better. They just stay for forever in therapy all their whole lives, do you see? Um, what about that uh, data? Why don't we consider that data? This thing looks pretty impotent to me, you know. Um, so it's not that mysticism is irrational. It's just not intellectually based, okay? That's a better way of saying it. I, I saw a video the other day. It was very interesting. Um, because, And let's note first, this intellectually based way of addressing uh, our existential problems is sourced from the same culture and geographical location that mysticism arose out of. They were, they were, uh, and they are complementary. Even we are using it as a beginner gateway. Um, they were always used that way. But just some traditions then thought that the gateway was the garden, 
do you see? But they came out of, this, out of the same area uh, and the same history. It's all subcontinent India, okay? Um, and Krishnamurti is just repeating uh, an aspect of that long history, okay? Um, but I would say that 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 history, if you want to go, well, it migrated outward even to Europe. Um, it might be more, that is totally true, but it also might be the fact that these two approaches um, that are either found to be complementary in, in how we do it, beginner, gate, and garden, but also the mistaking the gate for the garden, do you see? That also spread uh, throughout Europe, but it may actually be a human problem, do you see, which is why it's spreading, not just because it's following the Silk Road or the trade routes or the spice industry, do you see that? And uh, so you would see this, for example, in Thomas Aquinas, who was much, much later than this discourse and the competing discourse um, were battling each other. So you, you have Thomas Aquinas and his very rational, very intellectual uh, proof of how and why God exists, only in the end that he has a mystical experience and then says, everything I just said is like straw, right? You know, very similar to what I tell you. Everything I'm telling you right now is full of shit uh, because it won't do anything for you, do you see? It's not going to do anything. And you, you're listening because you want something, do you see? You, you want this. Well, this isn't going to do it, do you see? Um, and you're like, well, then I should leave. And I go, yeah, you sh fucking should, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Don't, don't, don't sit around in my Ojai property listening to me sit in this chair. Get fucking to work. Do you get it? Uh, get a real practice going. Jesus Christ. Right? I'm gonna read your book. Will you sign my book? No, fuck off. Go, go, go make yourself into something. Um, but I was watching a video of Sadhguru, and someone asked him a question. It was this is fantastic reply, but I can see like if you're one of those people stuck in home teams, like I probably haven't angered a lot of Krishnamurti followers right now. You know, fuck that guy. Who is he? He's not even Asian. You know, they're like, they're very angry right now. Well, uh, so if you're all into teams and stuff, yeah, I probably pissed you off. Um, but you're never going to get it, do you see, because you have these dichotomies there. So someone asked Sadhguru about the difference between Shiva and Buddha. Like, uh, these questions are insane. He's got to stop, man. He, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know why he's doing Maybe he's trying to raise money for his yoga center, but... Man, it's at a certain point, you got to realize that this is not working anymore, and you you just got to stop, right? What you know, it's like who could beat up, you know, Superman or Batman? Who would win in a fight? Do you get it? It's a dichotomy. Do you see? But he said the truth. He did say the truth, which was which was uh, uh, really fantastic. And you know, he's all like, hey, you know, hey, Gautama was a cool dude. You know, he. He w but he was a rationalist, you see, and he comes up with this rational way of thinking. I don't think this is a as wholly accurate, though, okay? Um, um, he threw his digs in there to the Tibetan as they're the most famous of the Buddhists, you know, because they're all in Hollywood, and, 
it's just crazy how they got into the pop culture and information highway and uh and uh for some weird reason they're they are the most rational of the buddhists but they were actually the most magical of the buddhists you know by far but they don't talk about that part anymore um it's kind of like trying to just go, look, we had discovered uh, Jungian psychology before Jung, and uh, we're actually ahead of Einstein, and, you know, it's like trying to, it's, it's all become very scientistic, do you see? Um, and that's, that's it's, it's, to me, it's a dead tradition now. It's a dead tradition. Uh, and Sadhguru's working this way, so he's all like, look, Buddha was a very rational person, um, and he came up with a very simple method, you see. Uh, but, you know, like, so look, they're suffering. Okay, they're suffering. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the cause of suffering, and uh, there's a way out of suffering, and here's what you do. And, you know, historically, it was written like a doctor prescription, the same kind of structure, uh, linguistic structures. It was like a doctor prescription from that time period. Uh, of course, when you go a little deeper, though, uh, you realize it's not so rational at all. So, um, for example, um, you know, you, you, we've talked about how a lot of people have a hard time uh, realizing that they should try to address their existential fears uh, because they don't have to deal with them right now. Do you see there's Netflix and there's that glass of wine and there's a pill for this you know and uh it just catches up to you later um but nobody pays attention to, to it now uh we all buy the americanist idea that i should be success oriented let me study hard go to a good school and you know uh, my life's going to be much better. And it's like, yeah, but you're around all of this. You're the common denominator. You're the problem, do you see? It's going to catch up to you sooner or later. And we all realize eventually, like, oh, man, what a waste of time. I've been wasting my time. And now what? Now I actually die? And, you know, whoa. And people start freaking out. You know, so you look at obesity and you look at anxiety and depression and suicide. It's just crazy around that time when people start realizing that uh, the Americanist view actually didn't do crap for you. Do you see? But human beings had known this a long time ago when, when you know, the the uh, the apex of your material uh, motivations was, hey, we got a donkey. You know, you still, you realize, yeah, you're still going to die, buddy. Uh, should probably address this deeper issue here. <laughs> okay, right. You know, because you have the story of Job, right? And how old is that story? And there's a dude that had it all, and it's all like, now you don't have anything, Job. What are you going to do? Uh, people are obviously talking about it when there wasn't nowhere near what to have today, do you see? So Sadhguru is going, yeah, you know, he came up with, Buddha came up with this ra rational way, and it's kind of cool, you know, and it's for, it does this thing. But uh, he goes, look, that, that Shiva actually encapsulates the Buddha's way. Do you see, that's kind of what I was saying. It's like the, they were complementary. Do you see, it's a small part of the larger way. Um, and what Shiva is representing is that mystical 
communion. Do you see this total deconstruction of the ego tripartite, not a continuation of it through more rational, a more rational kind of thinking, do you see? Again, I think it's a little, I, I get it, it's a nice argument, and it's a great pointer for the people that are there, particularly the person who answered, asked the question, uh, but it is not exactly accurate historically as there's many Buddhist traditions where uh, they're telling you, dude, you're all caught up in language and thinking, and that's not it, okay? Um, but it makes for a, a good pointer for us, okay? Can I ask you what are the fears that you, you feel you're facing on the mat? Yeah. But no more if if I will play this after it will be different. Okay. How do you think it might be different? Um, I think I experienced sometimes like when this fear come come out of second I couldn't detect it at that moment. Mm -hmm. Realize it after yeah. it jump out of my attention. Yeah. I only recognize it after. Yeah. Yeah. And w see, this is why in the way that I would define fear uh, is any time you have your ego and your dichotomous thinking, you have fear. So it's, it's, it's not quite a circular argument. I would call it a concentric argument, um, which is why um, you might not feel afraid like, you know, ooh, a ghost, it scared me, you know, like a jump scare. Like, I didn't feel like a jump scare, but from my point of view, the ego is still functioning, the dichotomy is still functioning, and you're still on this preference, uh, an avoidance behavioral pattern, and I call that fear, do you see? Um, you'll, you'll, you get to see, so for example, we had um, the, uh, we talked early today about um, the, the etiquette regarding the bathroom. Do you remember? Okay. So, in my, if in my understanding, of the ego tripartite. The ego tripartite functions uh, in, through those mechanisms, and by those mechanisms, I am never truly present, never truly present, um, because all it is about is reproducing itself. That, so it, it experiences the world or better said, any experience is filtered through this structure so that it reproduces itself. Do you see that? So you're never truly present. You, you never truly see what is before your eyes. You only will see what reproduces the functioning ego tripartite. Do you get it? So that blindness, do you get it? That blindness to me is evident that the ego tripartite is functioning. But you don't feel any blindness, do you see? 
And, but that functioning and that blindness and this loss of presence, loss of awareness, to me, is that avoidance preference behavioral pattern. Do you see? What Krishnamurti would say, the avoidance part is fear. And the desire part is preference. Do you see? But to me, the fact that you have this blindness, this lack of awareness, this inability to be present, you have avoidance and preference. And that's how it does it. So that is how you go into the bathroom and you forget that there are women in the dojo and you leave the toilet seat up. It didn't even enter your minds. Do you see that? Um, but aren't there's women all over this dojo? Do you? I think, what are we tonight? Is it half and half? Yeah, there's a lot of times there's more, there's like two men and the rest are all women. Do you see? And those men will leave the toilet seat up. Do you see? Um, or what about the blindness that the toilet seat was down when you came into the bathroom? And every time you come into the bathroom, it's down, do you see? How, did, how do I not notice that? In my discourse, because the ego tripartite is functioning, it makes you blind to it. Versus, as I said, it is, for me, a martial question. Yes, it's, it's nice. You see, it's nice. It's a nice modern man who puts the toilet seat down, right? You have your, your mom and your sisters, and they're always yelling at you uh, because I don't know why, but they sit down without looking at it, and they almost fall in. So, you know, I grew up always hearing, put the seat down, put the seat down, right? And then you put the seat down, and you're a little kid, right? You're a little boy. You don't have much control. Now you wet the seat, uh, you know, when you're going to the bathroom. I'm like, put up the seat, and you're very confused. Like, do you want it up or do you want it down? You, go, you put it up when you go, and you put it back down when you're done, right? And if you ever wet the seat, clean the seat, because they sat down without looking, and they got wet, and you see. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the blindness and the unawareness, do you see? And I, I introduced it to you as a martial question, okay? So as I told you, you walk anywhere, okay? Anywhere at all. You talk to anyone. You are constantly assessing, constantly. Every moment is... being experienced so purely that it can actually be viable information, martially speaking, okay? You want that awareness, okay? You want those pure eyes. You want that pure gaze. You don't want to uh, be blind to the pre-violent indicators, do you see? You want, you, you, you want to understand what is going on. So you go into a room, you know exactly, right? Where are the ambush angles? Where are the extraction angles? Where is cover? Where is concealment? You, this is how you experience the world. And now, if you, first of all, if you try to do this from the ego tripartite, you can't. 
just like you can't put the toilet seat down in a dojo full of women, do you see? Or, or the, the seat down when everyone puts it down, do you see? You're going to do your own thing, okay? Um, but if you tried, you would go crazy. You would go crazy. You would, that's why I drew a distinction between paranoia and this awareness, do you see? And that's why I made it akin to the tiger, right? The tiger knows exactly what's going on in the jungle all around them. It is not afraid, do you see? And the warrior knows exactly what's going on in this room and who's doing what and what needs to be a att paid attention to and what can be put on the back burner and what is the main priority and what is just contingency. And it's all being filtered through this pureness of vision and awareness, okay? It's not paranoia. As I said, it's like the tiger. You're not looking for threats. You're looking for food. It's a different mindset. Okay? And it's not possible through the ego tripartite. It's not possible. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't see. You're blind. Okay? You're only looking for things that are reifying the ego. And so now the question is, well, how do I get this pure vision? How do I stop reifying the ego? Well, here's where I veer from Krishnamurti. Not by more thinking. Not by better thinking. That's the same thing. That's all part of your ego tripartite. It's not possible. You see? You have to tap into that second mind aspect. You have to tap into the mystical experience. You have to have it available to you. Like, like available. It's not a state. It's not some, you know, firework event. You might, you might experience it like that at first because it's so different from everything else you've ever experienced. It might seem like, holy cow, but you start to realize, man, this is the normal state. The other thing is the insanity, right? And so what you can do instead is as there's more fear and you realize you're losing more of the room, you tap into this second mind aspect. There is no fear. There's no nothing. There's just consciousness. There's just a lack of separation between you and everything else. So how is there something you don't know? How can something sneak up on you? Now, at, at first to the, uh, to the intellectual, they're like, ah, what are you talking about, this second mind aspect? Because that's, that's another intellectual question. Yeah, that's not it either. Yeah, you're right. That's not it. That's, there's no two mind aspects. There's not one and two. Do you see? It's more of a poetry than I'm telling you. It's a poem, a poetic metaphor or a painting, do you see? And you just have to have that experience. You have to first have that experience where you first go, wow, hold, what just happened? Now, it's very irrational, it's very unscientific to say that we human beings do not have this. We do. 
We do. We have it all the time. We just don't have agency. But you, nearly everybody has it. Where you lose time and you lose space, right? You're with someone you love, right? You lose track of time. Right? You're with them and you're like floating. You're deeply in love or you're, you're, I mean, just even take rave culture. What is rave culture trying to do? It's trying to tap into this thing, do you see? Why do people do it? Because they can tap into it, but it's no, there's no agency, do you see? It's, 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 it's forced. It's forced now. An ancient technology, music, but through chemi- chemistry, through chemicals, he's heavy into drugs. But I don't, that means no agency. You want agency, do you see? You don't want to go, you don't want to be like underdog. Do you guys remember underdog? He, he was like a Superman cartoon dog, but he needed to get his pills to get his super strength. I was like, and he always had a problem. The bad guy always knocked his pills out of his hand and how good is that, man? I want it now. I need it now. I walked into this thing without realizing it. I need it now. Right? So it's good you don't feel fear yet because that's my, that's my plan. Okay? You, have to, you need a base. You need a base. Um, you can't, as I've said to the rest of you, without the base, the thing that generates the Fear feels like abuse. Do you see? You're sure I hate you, right? Um, but if you don't have a base of understanding, uh, a context in which the fear is being generated, then um, there's just it just gets experienced as abuse. Do you see? Especially with moderns, like moderns, you know. People, probably my generation was probably the last one where, you know, you, you, you didn't, you sucked it up for your own good. Someone told you, suck it up for your own good. And you go, yeah, check. <laughs> I guess it is for my own good just because they told it to you. But nowadays we're like, oh, this ain't for my own good. How could this be for my good? You know, I heard a, a podcast today, and it was really funny because they're very millennial, and they were talking about how, you know, you don't know that in early on in your training that you, when you experience that pain, your body is telling you something, you know, to stop. And, you know, what's my view? But your body's telling you you're a wuss, you know, and you you still uh, are looking for pleasure and happiness. Do you, do you get it? You need to figure out how to uh, not have the sense of suffering from the sense of a nerve signal uh, kind of thing. But um, we used to raise ourselves that way, but we don't now. And so... Training is like, holy, you know what training is like? I, you guys are going to hate this analogy, but it's like, um, it's like Caesar Milan, you right? It's like Caesar Milan. You get, you, he get, you, he's the dog whisperer, right? And, 
if you haven't seen that show. And everybody calls him because this dog is crazy now. Do you see? This dog is crazy, and it's all the dog. And Cesar Milan is always going like, it's not the dog, it's you. I actually train people, right? But when he gets the dog, he treats the dog uh, like a dog. That's the problem. The people always treat the dog like people. But what kind of people? The, 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 the way they wish in their narrative, the way they wish they would have been treated by their parents, do you see? Uh, but they don't realize, man, that is so adolescent. You, you need to mature past these things and adopt a narrative that actually works for you, okay? So Caesar comes along, and then all of a sudden this dog is just fantastic, you know. Uh, but a lot of it is first gaining the dog's trust, do you see? Because the dog is just so traumatized by the owner at first that it just doesn't trust people. Um, and when the dog gains the trust, then the thing that it didn't want to do at first it wants to do later for Caesar, do you see? So, now, there's a loose analogy here, right? But the point is, you need to build up some trust um, in order for the hard training to be experienced in the positive way uh, that it is needed, okay? Um and what you one of the first things you're going to struggle with is that uh, you are so traumatized that you cannot trust, just like that dog. Do you see? The more, the more. Every once in a while, he has a failure. Caesar has a failure. He cannot return the dog to the owner. Do you see? And the reason he can't is that the dog cannot build up enough trust to be safe for the level of incompetency of this owner. So he's like, I got to take your dog. Um, and then what he really does is he gives it to his dogs, you see. And then finally this dog uh, becomes more centered. Do you get it? So even though it sounds kind of like progressive, like letting you build up trust, Really what's going on here is uh, you have to figure out enough ego loosening to actually develop some faith in the process. Um, and that's really your limitations here, not how well you understand the process. I can explain the process to you. You will not understand it, uh, or your understanding is not going to help you through this problem of feeling traumatized, do you see? You have to have some faith um, you have to move past the rational uh, Buddha side, and you gotta freaking bow and 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 you know s sacrifice yourself before Lord Shiva. You know that's what that's what you gotta do, and that is what it's gonna feel like. You see, I would say this way: if you can still rationalize, we ain't even started yet. Okay. That's what's actually happening. If you, if you can still go, oh, this is good for me. Yeah, we are not even close, okay? We're not close. <laughs> you have to go, this is so freaking bad for me. <laughs> I hate this. But you still keep going, right? And you, you learn how to transcend that and move past it. Um, you have a chance to accessing the second mind aspect, okay? Any other final Closing thoughts?
or questions or more? Anything? Yes, go for it. Yeah. Talking roughly, I have been wondering actually about this. Yeah. Like, you always, you always say like, oh, I see you with pure eyes. Yes. And I, well, I was trying to do that, but yeah. I couldn't replicate what you did. Yeah. So every time I feel like that was a kind of free up, of free up not being able to do what you did. Yes, that's one fear, right? The fear of failing the teacher, yeah. right? Um, and again, you know, uh, you, you, you don't fail me. I don't really care. Sorry. I don't really care. Uh, that my, my practice is, this is how I understand it. Okay. My practice, my, I have a practice. Do you see, you guys are just hanging out with somebody that's doing a practice. You have to understand. I'm not the teacher that's teaching you algebra one. And then you move on to algebra two. You're hanging out with some with somebody that's doing a practice. That's what you're doing here. Do you see? No, well, my practice is about um, uh, dealing with people who hang out with you uh, for some unknown reason because they don't they don't do at all what you show or. Or, you know, they don't agree with you. They're always resisting. Uh, they Deep down, they don't really like you a whole lot. They're kind of scared of you. It's really hard for them to come near you. And they just keep coming around. Do you, do you get it? And you're like, yeah, I mean, think about that. Think about that. Let's, let's, let's make it like you are a, um, you know, um, James, you're a newly engaged man, right? I mean, would you, would you, would you be, would you engage yourself to the girl who was all like, you know, like just the opposite and everything that you you tried to do for them? They're like, mm, I'm gonna do this instead, you know? Oh, how would you like some? Of, n no, you know, that that would be who you would not get engaged to. Do you, do you get it? And yet here we are engaged. Do you see? <laughs> right? Do you see? And so, you know, it kind of reminds me of something that another member said about being a, a law enforcement officer. Like the person, I had written this long response. So the, the person it was about a video that uh, they were protesting law enforcement. You see, they want to defund law enforcement. And it is always that class, right? It's upper middle class uh, who doesn't understand what law enforcement does for all the lower classes that are uh, ex the victims of crime, you know, statistically speaking. Um, it's people who can't afford gated communities and, and high-rise buildings with doormen that you can't get in, do you see? Um, well, they throw a rock at a dri person driving by who probably told them to F off because, you know, he, he has a different experience of American culture. And uh, um, he gets really angry, and he turns around, and now they're scared for their physical self, right? And what do they do? They're saying, call the police, call the police. It's like, wait, what? Really? You're, you're trying to def defund the police, and now you're calling the police, right? 
And it, it made another deputy go like, it, it makes you wonder why you, why you have to go. Cause he goes, we would still go. The call would come and we would still go. And it makes you wonder why do you even go if they don't want you there? And I wrote this long thing, but Facebook messed it up. So I just like, whatever, San Mandala, I'm not going to write it again. Uh, but I'll share the main points here. And it's all like, you know what? That's why you go. It, the deeper practice, the deeper service over self is to go and to help people who don't want you, who hate you. Do you see? Um, I, when I went to the riots in San Francisco to help out there, you know, um, I decided the title for my law enforcement memoir. It was Smile, Smiling at the Haters. Uh, because it was like, you know, it's a very progressive town uh, that was basically burning itself at that time. And all, for some reason, they just automatically see people as enemies and therefore as worthy of their hatred and uh, their status of being inhuman, do you see? And uh, it was like... I'll talk to you, right? So start talking to people on the street. And we had just a huge crowd of people coming around and hanging around us cops from Santa Barbara County, right? Um, it was hilarious. I mean, we got so crowded that the, the San Francisco counterparts were like, oh, we should probably move. Because uh, it's just turning into a kind of block party out there, you know. And... Uh, um, it's just the way that I've always done my job. So in this little narrative, I remembered there was a time in one of our college towns here, and I was on the corner uh, on these crazy nights, which are filled with countless rapes uh, and over-intoxication, um, uh, burglaries from uh, gangs that come from uh, L.A. County and uh, Ventura County and just rob all these uh, rich college students uh, at gunpoint and things like that. And I was on the corner and one of these groups walked by, the, the college upper middle class, you know, people, and they're all like, F you pigs. And I was all like, okay, you know, I'm not like, I don't care. Um, and later that night, we got a call. It was like 2, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., right? It was an auto, uh, a bicycle uh, burglary, uh, and it was like a tricked-out mountain bike, do you see? And we go knock on the door, and it's the guy. It's the guy that was all, F you, pig, right? And he's, he sees me, and he's all, oh, man. I go, hey, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, and I just go ahead and help him about with his bike. You know, let's solve this case. Wow, that sounds like a really nice bike. That sucks. And, uh, you know, he, he was more like... Look, I really want to say I'm sorry. I go, really? You don't have to say you're sorry at all, do you get? That's that is to me more reason to do the job. Just like it is more in love to not have it in return. Just like um, you know, uh, you're on the cross and they're wanting your death. Do you see? And you say, forgive. Do you get it? 
Or you get hit on one cheek and you turn the other cheek. This is more of a reconciled ego and more of a deconstruction of the ego tripartite. Um, and that's what I, that's what we're doing here. But that's my practice. Do you see? That's my practice. And the more you do you, the better my practice gets. Do you see? But the more you do you, the worse your practice is and remains, do you see? So you want to, uh, this idea that you're letting me down is part of that ego tripartite. But should you have pure eyes? Yes, you should have pure eyes. That's all you're interested in, do you see? Don't be interested in how I'm thinking. Don't care about that at all, right? But care about whether you needed eight reps, 20 reps, and still can't get the technique. Do you see that? That's a problem, right? Because you're, you're experiencing it only through blindness. You can't see it, okay? Then how can you do this other thing that I was saying, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, let's stop there then. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.